0: Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. All right. Well, good morning. Well, actually, oh, yeah. We got nine minutes. Good morning. When you guys take out your Bibles. Anyone bring a physical Bible to church anymore? Bring a physical Bible. I know it's heavy. The New York commuter, you don't want to add two and a half pounds to your commute. But then we eat lunch and we add two and a half pounds on the way home. See sometimes sometimes funny. <laughs> All right. Well, grab your Bible, turn with me to to Luke six. So today I want to talk about something that um, is actually really burning on my heart, has been for some years. Um, probably won't be new to a lot of you guys, but for the past maybe two years, I have really felt the, just the Lord lead me into for both personal and just when I teach and whatever, just in my life. To reevaluate foundational things, we're starting a series here on foundations, which is going to be amazing. Um, so definitely jump on that. But for me personally, just been reevaluating the foundations of my life. There's a lot of different reasons. One, the biggest one is it's the Lord kind of led me, and He's been speaking to me. But even just my natural thinking, my natural talking, conversation, life, and just friends, community people, acquaintances that I've been watching, I've realized how important it is to take time and establish your foundation and your belief as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, not just when you first are saved, though that's critical, and I you know, I would hope that all of us were in a place or in a church where we had someone or a group of people that were leading us to do that and really laying solid foundations. And that is good and needed for us, especially when we're first saved. But it's something that is important to do and revisit throughout your walk with the Lord. And the reason I bring that up is I've actually experienced, um, since I was young, I, I've grown up in church. I uh, not just grew up in church, but grew up in a church that you know, was this sort of bend. Prayer, the charismata, the gifts of the spirit, um, the prophetic, the worship, longer, lengthen at times, just this type of what we're experiencing. I, I got to grow up in it, which is a privilege for me. However, at the same time, that even though I grew up in it, because I grew up in it with a lot of friends and a lot of people, a lot of acquaintances, that didn't necessarily equate to being in the room equals doing this as a lifestyle, and it also didn't equate to it will just last forever. And one of the things that I've loved, um, I went to school at IHOP, Mike Bickles, one of the leaders there, and he has this phrase, or really this teaching, about how it's, it's actually possible to not experience burnout. That it's actually possible. Uh, in fact, not only is it possible, but you have everything you need already to walk in that reality. And so for me, 10 plus years, I've now kind of looked, you know, you look in the rearview mirror a little bit. I'm still young. Uh, I'm young, 30. <laughs> just leave it there. There's no no other point to make except that uh, I've had some years under my belt in getting to look back and ask questions. Things like, why am I still walking with the Lord, but people who grew up and walked in the same meetings, in the same teachings, in the same culture, why are they no longer walking with the Lord? I've got to look back and say, why have I in 15 years, and listen, I'm not tuning my own horn here. This is just my testimony. And so I don't, you know, this, this is what it is. Why have I not walked away from the Lord? Why have, has my heart always been burning? Why has my heart always been alive? Why have I always been right in the center of what the Lord's doing? Yes, I've gone through hardship. I've experienced loss. I've experienced trauma. I've experienced things where I expected something to happen and the oppos- opposites happen. I've experienced uh, you know, confrontational things with leadership, good, bad, everything in between. Basically, I've experienced what you've experienced, but yet the Lord has kept me steady and I, I, what I've done the past few years is, why is that? And one of the reasons, one of the reasons is that throughout the years, I've constantly, and not on purpose, it's just, you know, I'm not saying that I knew strategically to do it. I, it just happened, I happened to do it. I reevaluated the foundations of my life. I asked the question, well, why do I believe this? When someone teaches something from the pulpit, well, why do they believe that? Where is that in the scripture? And go and find it out for myself. In fact, even when, if I'm, when I'm preparing a sermon and a teaching, because I want to, you know, if this is a holy thing to be able to teach the body of Christ. Uh, it's a little bit scary, too, as the Bible says that we're going to be held to a higher accountability as teachers. And so if I'm even grabbing a topic that maybe I've heard someone speak before or out of a book, you better believe that when I'm looking at the scripture references or I'm looking at the points that this person's making, I'm going to go read that scripture for myself and make sure that I actually agree with it before I just go ahead and regurgitate it. And so I just happened to do that. Obviously, there was maybe a sovereign thing, the grace of the Lord over me. He had his hand over my life. But what I've learned, oh, this is something to be taught. This is something that you may not actually just naturally know to do, even though we see it in the scripture, but it's something that we're to be reminded of. Especially today, especially in an, in an hour where you have the, the systems of the world questioning the Christian faith. No other faith, the Christian faith. And then you have Christians now who are responding to the questions of the culture instead of the questions of the scripture. And so they're looking for the answers of the questions of, well, why do I actually believe what do I believe? Why, why do I grow up going to church? Why do I go to church? Why do I worship? Why do I sing? Why do we do the things that we do? And they look for the answer to those questions from culture to actually reaffirm the answer that they were looking for in the beginning so that they don't have to go to church. And they don't have to read the scripture. And they don't have to worship And, well, why do we gather? Why can't we just be Christians from home? And do you see what the bend is? The bend is they have the answer they're looking for. I just, I really don't want to go to church. Let me ask the question, why am I going to church? And let me get the answer I was looking for in the first place when really we should be going in here. You guys following me? And so it's this thing. If you're going to examine the foundations of your faith, you have to do it from the original. You can't, you can't do it. There's a, I've told this story here before, but there's a pastor who was building a church, was very zealous, um, wanted to help. So the, the contractor was like, okay, if you really want to help, I need 100 boards, these two-by-fours. I need 100 two-by-fours cut to six-foot length. Just go ahead and cut it six-foot length. So the pastor's super excited. Everyone leaves. He stays late at the church, takes the first board, measures six feet, marks it, puts it on the saw, cuts it, takes the board he just cut, measured it on the next board draws the pencil line, cuts that board, then takes the board he just cut, puts it on the next board. Before you know it, by the time he's at like the 60th board, it doesn't need to be cut anymore because now the board, you know, he kept measuring off of the previous board instead of measuring off of the original. And when you don't measure on the original, you become way off when you're just measuring off of the previous. And a lot of times what we do is we measure our belief system based off of the last thing we heard or the last season or the last a church season of revival instead of going to the original. And when you don't go to the original and reevaluate your foundations and reestablish your foundation, then you build your house on sand. And then when the trials come or the questions come or you're just not feeling like it and the winds come and the rains come and the storms come, you're not built on the rock. One of the things that's very clear in scripture, is that the foundation of the church, yes, Jesus being the chief cornerstone, but is the apostolic and the prophetic. And one of the things that I have been really paying attention to is, okay, Lord, what does that mean? I think we've done a really good job as a church at welcoming the prophetic anointing in our midst again. Yeah, we kind of got challenged with it in the past two years, especially in the political realm and the weirdness and whatever. And again, we don't measure off of past seasons, we measure off of the original. But what I want to talk about today is an apostolic anointing, and specifically an apostolic people and what are the characteristics of the apostolic church. Now, I want to preface a few things. We say the word apostolic and everyone gets like, "Ooh, exciting, apostolic." Okay. The 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 point I'm trying to make here or or really the 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 intro, let's not get caught up with the word apostolic. We live in a culture where titles and fame are really attractive right now. And so then we say the word apostolic or apostle or prophetic or prophet or whatever, and I get two responses. I get like people like, "Oh, really excited." And I'm I'm going to listen now because I used your buzzword, or I get like the opposite, like gonna check out because you're just looking for a title on a business card or something like that. So we're trying to come towards the middle here, All right, Because this is a foundational thing. It's the thing that the Lord wanted to build his church upon, right? Because I believe that we need the prophetic anointing and the apostolic anointing functioning in the church. And I also believe that every believer, just as we're, every believer is called to evangelize and to step in the, the evangelistic anointing just like every believer is called a disciple and step in the pastoral anointing just like every believer as you're making disciples and even raising up kids is to step in a teaching anointing in the same way we see in the scripture clearly above all else ask to prophesy right and we're to be prophetic in nature and in the same way we are all apostolic but then the question is what does that mean so, what are an apostolic people? Uh, Jesus is our model. Jesus Himself was sent. The, the word apostle comes from the Greek word, and Tammy will correct me later if I said it right. It's apostolos, um, which definitely saying it wrong, but it's fine. Um, and it just means sent one or he who is sent. And Jesus was the first sent one. It says that he was the Father, as the Father sent me. So I send you when he was sending out the apostles, the, the disciples. He was essentially apostling them. So he's our model. It's, it's a simple thing. It's not this like, oh, it's the man of God or the woman of God. No, it's, it's sent ones. It's ones that are sent. And if you're sent just as Jesus was sent, then you're representing someone, yeah. which is key. And so as an apostolic church, one of our first assignments, well, a couple of our first things is we're called by God. He's the one that calls us, calls you by name. He knows the gift. He knows the destiny over your life, both as an individual and as a corporate body. He knows the destiny, the gift over this church and this house. And he calls you by name and says, okay, come, follow me. And then he commissions you just as he commissions the commission the disciples, and he recognized the gift, the calling on your life, and he says, okay, commission you. He anoints you. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And then he sends us out. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going overseas, or that could, but it just means you're, you're sent into the world that you're already in. What I loved, even in the beginning of the, the 12 and even the 72, he sent them out. He didn't go send them away from him because they would come back to him. He sent them to the place that he was at. And so as an apostolic people, we're, multiple things are happening. We're, we're hearing the Lord. We're being commissioned by him. We're receiving from him. We're being filled by him. We're, we're being equipped by him and by each other. And then we're being sent out, filled with power and authority to the world that we're already in. So that then when we come back, we're coming back with testimony. And this is kind of like the, the flyover picture. And Luke 6 kind of helps us with this. If we go, I know you've been there already. Verse 12, it says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray. This is Jesus talking of Jesus. Chapter 6, verse 12. He went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And it, when it was day he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Now, a few things that I pick up in this verse, because I like to ask the question, well, why apostle? Why the apostolic? Why did Jesus use the word apostle? Because it wasn't wasn't a Hebrew word. It wasn't a word that they would have recognized. He could have easily said, now I call you prophets. They would have understood that. They would have related to Elijah, to David, to the, the, you know, the prophets of old. They would have kind of understood. They would have had language, but he calls them apostles, which maybe they were somewhat familiar with, but he was using a secular term of the day, something that the Greeks would use, but then the Romans would kind of master. An apostle was a, a group of, of ships that would go out, or, or, or really a cohort, a, a troop that would go out, would conquer land for the representing kingdom, and the king. And when they conquered land, they didn't just destroy everyone and put their flag. No, they wanted the people, they wanted the land, they wanted the resource. So they came in and they, they gained authority, they gained control. And not only did they gain control and say, okay, now you're ours, but then they started to infiltrate the culture. They started to culturize the people. They started to teach them Roman values and Roman ways. And not only did they teach them the culture, but they started to build buildings that probably existed in Rome. And so they would build uh, things with columns, things that would look Roman. And what they were doing is they were coming into a land, coming into a territory, and they were teaching the people the way of the land that they came from so that when Caesar would come and he would come into their city, into their town, he would feel at home because the culture would be similar. The people would know the ways and the buildings and and the food and the music or whatever. It would reflect Rome. And in the same way, Jesus comes to the, to the disciple and he says, now I call you apostles. And in, in effect, he's giving them an assignment. And we see it even in the prayer that he teaches him, them to pray. And we know the prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Um, but it, in a way, it was the apostles' prayer. Because there's this little, one little snippet where it goes and you know, forgive us of our sins and Jesus didn't sin. So he didn't need forgiveness of sins. But he goes, pray this way. Our father in heaven, you know it with hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Beautiful prayer. And it's a blueprint. It's a blueprint for them. It wasn't just this reality. Hey, this is it was, like this is what you pray from your heart when you come to the Father, but you're asking the Lord, the Father, for these things. What's happening there? One, he's inviting them to follow him in the same way. He's being led to the Father, so he's giving them permission. Okay, now you, you can come to the Father, which is beautiful. So, says, in the beginning, our Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come. And so the kingdom of heaven is led by a father. So the apostolic is family and we're going to talk about that a little bit. But back to the what I was just uh, describing, why apostle? So that when they were sent out and us, as we go out and we minister and we preach the gospel and we share the father and we share Jesus with people, we're not just doing it to get people saved. That is one of the reasons because there's a real eternity and a real heaven and a real hell, and there really is only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. But that's just the starting point. The other reality is this prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's this assignment as apostles, as the apostolic church, we are not just saving people, but we are bringing the culture of heaven into the culture of this world. So that, twofold, when people come to know the Lord and they come into the church, they realize, oh, I know this culture. I've been experiencing it. I've been seeing it. It's this idea like we are lights. We're the light of the world. We're a light on a hill. It's not just we're drawing people to the church. So the light should be a church, should be a lighthouse. But we're drawing people to the light of the world, which is him. And so as an apostolic church, we're infiltrating culture. Not in this control, conquer, pillage, steal. It's this thing where we're bringing hope. Amen. We're bringing peace. We're bringing joy. Amen. We're bringing what we're going to talk about today, the characteristics of the apostolic church. We're bringing faith. We're bringing hope. We're bringing peace. We're bringing solutions. We, we're coming as builders. We're coming as architects. We're coming as pioneers. And we're coming as those things with the ones that are filled with hope, filled with love. Okay. So, sent ones. Ma- turn with me, Matthew 6, really quick. Because I just want you to look at it. I'm going to talk in it. And this is what we were just praying, Matthew 6. Uh, excuse me what we were reading matthew 6 verses 9 to 13 this prayer i just said it our father so the kingdom is family who is in heaven why does he teach them to pray that why do they need to know that the father is in heaven because they need to know that they need heaven's perspective that's how you understand bringing heaven to earth you can't bring heaven to earth if you don't understand heaven's perspective. And so you need to know these twofold. In the beginning, you have a father and he's from heaven. He's not from this world. So when you say your kingdom come, your will be done, it immediately shatters your agenda of what you think should happen so that you pick up his agenda of what he thinks should happen. You're changing. This is what Jesus was doing. He wasn't just teaching them to pray. He was Renewing their mind. He was changing the way that they think. And he had to. These are the same guys that are like, call down fire from heaven, destroy these cities, kill these people. Why, why did they do that? Because the Roman apostolic culture was when you don't comply, then destroy. They didn't know whose father they were of. Remember? He was culturizing them. He was teaching them of the ways of God. The other point, your kingdom come. He's letting them know there's a kingdom. There is a domain. There is a governmental system, a theocracy. It's not what you're experiencing. It's not the theocracy you're experiencing with Caesar, but there is a king who's ruling and you need to learn the ways of the kingdom. And he says, your kingdom come and he's activating. He's saying, this is what you do. You ask the Lord, come, come where? Into our world and not just our world, but into our life. This reality only works as if when it becomes personal. Meaning this, I cannot change the culture or impact culture if the kingdom of heaven hasn't first impacted me. There's a difference between being an echo and being a voice. An echo, you know, you're like a parrot. You hear and then you say it back. You hear and you say it back. And then what the funny thing that happens with that is you go years down down the line and then you're not saying those things anymore. And then you ask your question, well, why? I would ask the question, well, was it ever in me? Was I just repeating it because I heard it? Did I never tarry in it? Did I never sit in it? Did I never take those principles and wrestle through it, apply it to my life, and ask the questions like, am I loving? You want to know if you're a loving person? Get feedback from your siblings and from your parents. Not your best friend. Okay? Because your family will be honest. Now, maybe you don't have blood family in your life, that's okay, so then maybe ask your closest friend, but say, no, be really honest. But then if they're honest, don't get mad at them and not talk to them for a week. That's the whole point here, you know? We're called to be culturing agents, bringing transformation. We're called to catch the perspective and the reality of heaven, how heaven functions, the values of God's world, and what it looks like to implement those, here's, implement those here. And there's also a realm of power that comes when we tap into heaven. When we tap in, it's the Acts 2 reality that Jesus wanted to make sure that the disciples and the apostles could actually function in this. They could do it while he was with them because they were functioning under his power and his authority, but when he would go to heaven, they would need their their own. And so then he sends them the signet ring with the, the promise of the Holy Spirit and he empowers them and he gives them power. And that still is available to us today. But the point I want to make is because I think in, in church culture, and, and I've said this here before as well, uh, a lot of times 20% maybe of a congregation, maybe if it's if it's better, maybe 40, 50% of a congregation feels empowered or walks in power and authority. And the other 50% kind of come just to receive. And that's fine except that this is for everyone. It should be all hands on deck. An apostolic church and an apostolic leadership is kind of like the opposite of the business model. It's the opposite of the of the ladder, the business ladder, the business triangle. It's the leadership is on the bottom and our ceiling is supposed to be your floor. It's servant leadership, which In practical meaning, the point I'm making is this. When we talk about signs, wonders, salvation, outpouring, and just the the miraculous things, in an apostolic company, the people will see and do way more than the leaders because the leader's job is to equip you to do the work. If you find yourself in a place where it's just the leaders or the leadership or just the ministry team or whatever, and I'm not bashing systems here. Hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. But when it, those are the only ones that have permission in life. Not just saying in this room. Point is, it's not just about this room. In life, we should be going out and when we encounter a sick person, it shouldn't be, you should call this person to pray for you. It should be, no, I feel empowered to do it. It becomes a lifestyle where all hands on deck, everyone is activated. But when you're talking about this and you're kind of going through this, I think the best and one of the first things to do to establish an apostolic foundation in your life is to wrestle through the character, the character issue, the character invitation, Christ-like character. And there's this reality that if you, if you show, show me the, the character of the people of the church, and then I'll show you the strength of the church. If the people of the church have character and the community of the church has character, then the church has strength. We as believers are only as strong as the character that we walk in. That's why when you look at a, an individual who's maybe functioning in a high level gifting and anointing, and then you watch that individual maybe come, come into a moral failure or a stumble, then I would say maybe there was a lack of character there. It wasn't that the anointing was disingenuous because the Lord will always be faithful to the gift of God that he's placed on your life. But it's your character It's the righteousness and the holiness in your life that comes from the grace of God that's being built up inside of you. It's that character that keeps you from stumbling because it's the character that keeps you leaning on grace and not leaning on your gifting. So when we talk about the apostolic, I won't have time to do it today. The next time I I speak, I think I'll do a part two on this. We'll, We'll talk about the assignments. We'll talk about the gifting. We'll talk about the power and the hope and the breakthrough that comes when we're functioning in an apostolic anointing, but we have to first lay the foundation of the character of the apostolic church. And we already mentioned it. One of the first things is our identity as we we're sent by God. The very definition of the apostolic, of the word apostle, includes being a representative of someone. So if you're gonna represent, who, who do we represent? Jesus. If we're gonna represent our king, then we want to represent him well in character in the way that we walk in the way that we act and in the in our culture our tone of voice our the way that our 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 face you know i'm trying to think of the word it's blanking me but like our expression thank you and our expression our demeanor our tone of voice in our response are we a people that respond or are we a people that react do we think before we speak do we love first do we only love here and when we go out there do we put on a different persona? You know, it's, I love the, the sponge analogy. You know, you come to the, someone's sink and you want to clean a dish real quick and that sponge is like on the bottom of the sink instead of like being squeezed out and, and dry. Uh, you know, when you, when you soak up the sponge and you squeeze it, what comes out of it? Hopefully it's clean water, you know? When you squeeze a Christian, what comes out of it? What have you been, the yeah, blood, someone said blood. Uh, what have you, what have you been soaking up? What have you been soaking up throughout the week, throughout, throughout the day? I had a teacher in school, this again, I have Corey Russell. He used to challenge us, you know, yeah, you spend 24 hours a week in the prayer room. Cause we had to, it wasn't by choice, but you spend 24 hours a week in the prayer room, but then you go home and you dishonor your parents, you weren't praying then. Cause if you were actually praying in the prayer room, you would have went home different. If you were actually letting that presence that you're sitting before impact you and become a lifestyle, you would be different. Now, not perfection, not that you'll never make a mistake, but you're slow to anger, you're quick to love. You actually go home changed. You go home different. I don't know if you ever heard a message on the apostolic that's talking about it like this, but this is, this is foundational. We rep- represent someone, so therefore our authority And our power are from the one who sent us, which is good news because then we don't have to lean on our own power and authority, which is not much. When we go and we're sent out by the Lord, we get to go with his power and his authority, which means we have the backing of heaven. And because we don't represent ourselves, we have no authority and no power in and of ourselves. In a way, you can use the analogy, and not just the analogy, the Galatians talks about we're, we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors of Christ. But let's give a, a, a practical example. Let's say you're here in New York City and you're an ambassador for, for England. I'm not gonna put on an English accent, so you might want me to. But let's say you're an ambassador from England. You're here, you're doing the work, you're sent forth from that, that land, that nation with an assignment, Uh, You have a job to do, and when you're here, there's a a few things that you are privileged in. When you're in your home or when you're in the embassy for England, in those moments when you're stepping into that that territory, you're no longer governed by the laws and the systems of this nation. The moment you step into the embassy and the moment you step into your home, which is owned by, by, by England, You are now governed by the laws, to a certain extent, by the laws and and the structure of the kingdom in which you represent. In the same way as believers, when we are ambassadors of Christ, we have to understand that when we establish something for the kingdom of God, that in that establishment, in whatever Space we walk in, whatever radius that we're in, as we're walking as ambassadors, we're no longer governed by the laws and the structures of this world. We get to walk in and step in by the structures and the law and the availability of heaven. When you walk in an apostolic anointing, which again is just a fancy term. For something very simplistic, as ambassadors, as representatives of Christ, you have access to the king and the king's domain. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And when you're walking on assignment from the Lord, not just your agenda, but something the Lord has assigned you to do. Hear what I'm saying? It's not just, well, why isn't this? Rich said this was going to happen. It's not happening. Well, were you sent by God to do that? Or is that just something you wanted to do? And it was good, and it looked Christian, but it was just your idea. But when it's a God idea, which is not just a prophetic thing. well, I got to hear for the God idea. There's a million God ideas right in here. So when you're doing a God idea that you just found in scripture, which means love your neighbor, you get to do it from heaven's domain, which means the love comes with power. You're not just being kind to your neighbor like culture tells us to do and we'll go shovel the neighbor's snow. We're shoveling the neighbor's snow in Jesus name. And then we're meeting them with love. Matthew 10, which is a parallel to, to, to Luke 6, we see in verse 5 that Jesus sent them out. And he didn't just send them out, but he commanded them. And in verse 40, a little bit down from there, he says, He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. So just as Jesus derived his power and authority from his father, the one who sent him, and apostolic people receive their power and authority from Jesus. And this is critical because when we we are received by whoever in this world, they're receiving him. Now, there's this reality. It's like, not everyone's gonna receive you, but when they do, they get to receive him. See how he phrases it? Whoever receives you. Not everyone received him. But those who received him received the Father. Those who receive you, maybe on the, takes 10 times, a million times before they receive, but when they do, that's when they receive the Father. That's when they receive the Lord. Because you come as a representative. When they encounter us, they, they will encounter Jesus. John 20, verses 21 to 23. Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. See, when when the apostles were sent, they were sent with the same power and authority that the father had given Jesus. But to make sure that they were gonna be equipped, Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit. He breathed it upon them. And there's two important connections that I want to make from this, this passage right here. The first is, being, is between being sent and the person whom they represent. As mentioned just before, when they receive us, they receive the Father. But the second point is that being sent and the power and the authority of the apostolic people, that when we represent ourselves, we, we only carry our authority. But when we represent God, we carry his power and authority. So we have to realize we are asking the Lord, send us. Call me and send me. We're basically doing the prayer, Lord, here am I, send me. Let me simplify it a little bit because I I feel like sometimes we can kind of get into this place where we're just waiting for that audible voice of the Lord. But it's this reality. It's just the simple, I believe what you said, Lord. I believe what this book says about you, and I believe what this book says about me. And so therefore, here, my Lord, send me. And then I go about my day, and maybe I'm at the water cooler, or maybe in my Zoom room, or maybe I'm in my taxi, or in my Uber, or maybe I'm online at Chipotle, or wherever. Wherever I go, I am, I'm, before I go, I'm like, okay, Lord, here, my send me, and I'm going, with a listening ear. I'm going with a hearing heart. Okay, I'm going to talk a lot more probably next time about assignments and and, and what that looks like. But another important thing is to have Christ-like character. It's not actually important. It's, it's, it's mandatory. It's part of the job description. You can't do the job without it. I mean, you could try, but then they won't experience Christ. Right? And so an apostolic people, they walk in Christ-like character. You know, if we're using our authority, even as Christians, sometimes we do it if we're using our authority and our power and our influence to bully people, to push people around, to get what we want, that's, that is, that's not apostolic. That's control. That's fear. That's, that's actually entering into the system of the world. It's not kingdom authority, and it's not maturity. The way that we function and the way Jesus modeled leadership is servant leadership. So as leaders, you are all leaders in your own way, shape, or form. You're all called to disciple people, disciple nations. That's the assignment, the Great Commission of the Believer. There's leadership on your life. And the model of leadership that Jesus gave us is servant leadership. You go low. You humble yourself. And so one of the first things that's Christ-like character is we put family first. As an apostolic people, we put family first. That looks like Making priority for your children, making priority for your spouse, making priority for your siblings, making priority for your family. An apostolic church, an apostolic anointing looks like family first. Jesus modeled this. He modeled it. His, his mother and his brothers were around him. It took a minute to catch up to him being Lord. But, but he, he honored them in his life. His mother knew him, and he knew his mother. His brothers knew him. That's why they had a hard time, because they grew up with him. Not that he was bad, but, you know, they watched him grow up. It was just a—couldn't get it past here. But the other way he modeled it is in community, is in the way he modeled that that church is family. So, yeah, he he was constantly with the multitudes who were following him around, but he would take the time— to get away with the 70 or the 72, depending on your translation. And then of the 70, 72, he had the 12. And of the 12, he had the three. He modeled what it looked like to be relational, that it wasn't about like a a, a system or a program that would be first or a way of doing things. It was the first things first is family. What does that look like? Looks like praying for ourselves. It looks like praying for our family on a regular basis. It looks like inviting the Holy Spirit to fill us, fill our family afresh daily. It looks like praying for unsaved family members and unsaved close friends. It looks like the answer to prayers, testimonies within family. It looks like time, not just being found, but time being made, being s- set to spend together. You, know, you wanna show honor, honor looks like time. You wanna show honor and relationship, it looks like time, making time, making room in the schedule. And that might look different, like some of us might work 80 hours a week, so we can't hang out 80 hours a week. But it, it might be whatever it is for you, but there is a priority and a value to spend time. Not just to hang out, but to be in prayer and to be intentional for certain things. Family matters. When we put family first and make it a priority, we leave a legacy. Jesus knew this. That's why when, you know, he was calling Peter and he knew Peter had things going on in his household. And so he ends up at Peter's house and he says, you know what? We're going to heal Peter's mother-in-law. We're going to make sure that the house is okay so that the family is not in turmoil so that we can go do the assignment. So that Peter can go do the assignment. Jesus knew the assignment on Peter's life. He knew the wrestle and he was compassionate enough to make time for Peter's family to be whole so that his wife could have a mother while he was off being with Jesus. Beautiful, practical family. Christ-like character looks like walking in love. John 13, 34 says, love each other just as much as I have loved you. And he says this right after he washed their feet, by the way, modeling servant leadership. Love others just as much as I have loved you. He's like, you see me washing the dirt off your feet? It's not like today. Honestly, feet washing today would look more like leaving people's sneakers on right now and washing the bottom of their sneakers. <laughs> Practically, that's what it looked, because they had sandals. And they didn't have like, the. I mean, Roman systems were pretty good. They had some some stuff, but nothing like today. And, you're know, you walking through dung, you're walking through stuff, your your feet are dirty and he's sitting there washing feces off their feet, dirt off their feet, probably sand and glass, like stuff that's getting stuck. He's, I mean, what? The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that has all power, all knowledge, all glory coming and he says, this is how you lead. This is how you love. You do the thing that no one else wants to do. You walk in love. And apostolic people, we don't, we don't see people as projects to check off our list of Christian goals. Yeah. When, we, when we do ministry, it's not because we want to check off healing signs, wonders. When we disciple people, it's not so we can be like, look how many people I've restored. No, we do it not because they're our project, but because we see the gold inside of them. And we are moved with compassion and we see there's so much more for them. And we look with the eyes of love. We see them as Christ sees them. And our greatest desire is to equip and grow people. Because in apostolic church, we're not building big ministries. We're building big people. We're not building big structures. There's nothing wrong with structure. There's nothing wrong in itself with projects and things and and assignments. But when it comes about building the platform, then we missed the point. The point is the heart. The point is the soul, the connection. The gift of love is our first gift. The ministry of love is our first calling to God, to ourselves, and to others. And if you're here, and, and I've been through seasons of this, and, it's like, and you have a struggle, it's like, Rich, I have a hard time keeping my love on with certain people. Or maybe I have a hard time keeping my love on with everybody. Uh, <laughs> and if that's your reality, then do you know what? It would be good to seek counsel to get inner healing, what is the reason that I have such a hard time responding with love first? It would be well worth your time to establish that foundation. Well worth your time, effort, money, finances, whatever, to get that right. Because when we are before the throne, he's gonna ask, did you learn to love? It's really important really important whatever it takes we gotta love humble ourselves, and we seek help so that we can do this right an apostolic people we are integrous we have a high value for integrity first timothy three verses two to seven a bishop then must be blameless the husband of one wife temperate sober-minded of good behavior hospitable able to teach that's a lot of things That's a lot, you know? Like, okay, I can get down one wife, absolutely. Temperate, sober-minded, great, good behavior, hospitable. I gotta be a good host, okay. Able to teach. Do you know what that means, able to teach? You cannot make a disciple unless you have something they don't have. It means, as Christians... In order to make disciples, you need to be a student forever so that you're continuing to learn so that you can continue to disciple. If the people who you're serving know everything that you know, then you're not leading them, you're their peer. And then we can do the iron sharpens iron thing. But if we're going to lead people and we're going to disciple people, we need to have something that they need and they don't have keep going. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own home, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil moreover he must have a good testimony among those who are outside lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil i like to say this i like to summarize this like this in a simple term we should be the same up here as we are at home we should be the same in front of people as we are behind closed doors. Because if we're not, then we're kind of just putting on a show. We're not actually walking this out. If we walk this out in the secret place, if we do this behind the scenes, then we will naturally do this when we are called to do something. We'll naturally do it at our job. We'll naturally do it at church. We'll naturally do it wherever. But we have to take the time to lay the foundations of being integral, which looks like all of these things and more throughout scripture, but at least all of these things that we see here in 1 Timothy chapter three. We walk in righteousness. We walk in holiness. We walk in purity. Colossians 1 verse 10 says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. It's both of those things, both of those realities. It's growing in love and fruitfulness and the fruits of the spirit and in knowledge of God and his ways. So as we are beholding him, we are supposed to become like him. We behold as in a mirror the glory of God and we are transformed into his likeness. Again, sometimes charismatic you know, behold him. Oh, I can have a vision of Jesus. No. Okay, you want to practically behold him? Read the words in red. That, that's how you can see him face to face. Read the words in red. Read the words written about him right in here. This is, this is a way of seeing him, of beholding him, of looking at him. So good. so good. Christ-like character looks like being faithful. If we are faithful in the little, he can trust us with the big. We're always going for the big, but we got to be faithful to the little. What does faithful in the little look like? And there's nothing little about the little also, but it's things like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my word. I'm going to do it every day. Maybe I have five minutes, maybe I have 50, but I'm going to take the time I have and I'm going to do it. I'm going to take care of the finances that I have right now. I'm not just going to plan for the finances 10 years from now. I'm going to take care of them and do what I'm supposed to do right now. I'm going to take care of my family right now. I'm going to be faithful with what the Lord's giving me right now. And if I'm faithful with right now, he will then be able to trust me to be faithful with the things for tomorrow. We must be faithful in the midst of unrighteous mammon. We must be good stewards over financial matters. We must demonstrate integrity in the handling of money. We must be faithful serving another's vineyard before God will give us our own. I've been in ministry for 10 plus years, not a long time. But one of the things that I've, I've learned, I've never been a senior leader of a ministry. I've always served under a senior leader. I've always served under a senior pastor. One of the things I've learned and I've watched that as we come in up under leadership, I know this is a little bit of a bunny trail, but this is important. When I come into a church, you know, I'm new here. Haven't even been on staff a year yet. And one of the things that I have come in is I come in and I'm submitting myself under the authority of this house. Yes, I have giftings, and yes, they're empowering me to show up completely as me, but I know that one of the things I have to do is I have to come in humbly. I have to submit the vision that I have to the vision that already exists in this house, because if I come in with my vision and it's different from this vision, then I bring thy vision. One of the ways that we come in in the kingdom is there are people that are over us not for the sake of lording over us but because the lord has set them there and we have to trust that we have to trust the ways of god its family we have fathers and we have mothers in the natural we have to honor our mother and father we're commanded to do so and if we do so then it will go well for us and that we'll have a long life that's not actually not just a cute verse i would wonder if some people's lives are actually cut short because they've not walked in honor of their father and mother. And one of the ways that we do that even in a spiritual is we come in and we submit ourselves and we come in low and we come in with integrity. And what I mean by that is not only do I submit my vision and submit to them before them, I also do it in the private place. I'm not just secretly trying to get the things I want to happen in this church to happen. I am submitting myself and I'm praying into the vision that's already been given to this house. And yes, I'll have opportunity to add to it. And Bill and Tammy are, are amazing leaders and they, they give opportunity to speak in. But this is, this is the positioning of the apostolic people as we know how to honor mothers and fathers. It was better than your response. It's okay, it's too late. <laughs> that leads us into the next one. And the apostolic people are a humble people. God resists the proud and exalts the humble. Part of being humble is surrounding yourself by people that are smarter than you. Part of being humble is surrounding yourself by people that are better than you at the things you're trying to do. Part of being humble is surrounding yourself by people that are burning with more passion than you're burning with. Pride says, I can do this on my own. Pride looks at the person or the the people that has the thing that you've been wanting this whole time and trying to do it on your own instead of humbling yourself and surrounding yourself and submitting yourself and honoring what's on their life already. Watch that as you submit yourself and you honor, and this doesn't have to be just a leader. This could be a peer too. This could be a friend, a friend that... I'll give you a practical example. You have a friend, maybe you're a realtor, they're a realtor, and they're killing it at real estate and you just are trying to do it on your own, do it on your own, do it on your own. What if you just literally go and serve them a little bit and honor the gift that's on their life and learn from them and watch that their breakthrough becomes your breakthrough? It's a kingdom principle. You honor someone and the gift of God long enough that's on their life and watch that their gift and their breakthrough becomes your gift and your breakthrough, Saul, King Saul, started off good, ended off not so great. He walks, you know, he sent a bunch of people, his servants, his different ones, they all end up, even him, before the school of the prophets. And what happens when they walk in? They start to prophesy. And they weren't even honoring it, but it's just this, this reality. The disciples, when they were walking with Jesus, they yet, were yet to have the Holy Spirit. They would eventually need the Holy Spirit to come upon them so they can walk in power and authority and breakthrough of their own, gifting of their own. But before that, they were functioning in miracles, power, signs, and wonders. How? Because they were honoring the one who had the power and authority, which was Jesus. And they were able to function and have breakthrough just from being around him. I've experienced this in my own life. I... If I want to see what it is that I actually really truly carry, I get to do that when I go outside this house or I go on the streets and I try to minister in the same anointing or the same whatever, the same gifting that I function in here. I go out there and try to do it and I see what I actually carry. You... Humble yourself, and you come up underneath an anointing, underneath a breakthrough, underneath whatever, and you honor that on a person, on a people, and watch as their breakthrough becomes yours, and then when you go out, you're functioning in full authority and in full power and in full gifting. We come in low. We come in to learn. Part of being humble is walking with people who love Jesus more than you do. If you're in a season where you're just struggling with your walk with the Lord, or you're not burning with passion, get around people that are burning. Yeah. There's two ways to light a match. You take that match, you can strike it, cause friction and then flame will happen. And the Lord is very happy to cause friction in your life just for the sake of you being burning. But there's an easier way. There's an easier way to light the match. You take your unlit match and you bring it next to an open flame and it combusts immediately. Don't wait for him to bring friction. Get around people that are burning. Get around people that are burning. Another character. We are a people that know how to submit. We must be submitted to those who can hold us accountable for our conduct. So that if there is a moral failure, If there is a stumbling, if we start to get a little weird, not the good weird, because there's a good weird that we need to be. There's a little, a good weird of the charismatic church that needs to come alive again. Then there's also the bad weird where things are just not so biblical. When we have a, a trauma or we have something that we're just doing wrong, then we have people in our life that can call us out, that can hold us accountable and say, no, you're better than that. You're better than that mistake. You're better than that failure. That's not who you are. You know better. You know the truth. And they begin to remind us of who we really are. But they can only do that if we submit ourselves to that type of accountability, both with leadership and with peers, with friends who have permission to call us out and speak into us when we're starting to stray or when our hope level's going down or when our faith level's going down our passion's going down or whatever it is. This is good and this is healthy. And we don't have time to really go into it, but Galatians 5, 22 to 23 talks about the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. These are the fruits of the spirit. These are things that many times are just assumed as a Christian, but they don't just happen. They need to be worked out in our most holy faith. It means taking these things and saying, do I walk in love? Do I have an abundance of love? Do I walk in joy? Do I have an abundance of joy? Do I walk in peace? Do I walk in kindness? Do I walk in goodness? And asking ourselves the question, and then if it's no, or kind of getting in here, getting in prayer, getting before the Lord, getting around others, and getting more of that fruit in our life. And apostolic people, they're ones who walk in extraordinary authority. They function in it. Mark said in the scripture, these signs will follow those who are leaders. No, these signs will follow those who are missionaries. No, he said, these signs will follow those who believe. It's one prerequisite prerequisite for an apostolic people to step into extraordinary authority. You just have to believe. You believe in the one who sent you. You believe in who he says that you are. And you believe in what he says that you can do. You take scriptures like You can do all things who Christ, who strengthens you. You take scriptures like nothing is impossible with God. You take those multitude of scriptures and you take them more than just words and you make them your realities. And you change the way you think and you change the way you function to align with the truth of what he said, of who he is and who he says you are. And you step into risk. And you get to do these things like Mark said, the signs that will follow you because you believe. Now, I do think that there's different measures that come upon people for whatever reason. I do think that there's different graces upon upon individuals for different things, because that's what makes us the body. Some of you have a greater grace to pastor people and see extraordinary authority in maturing people expeditiously. Some of you have a greater grace in business. Some of you have a greater grace in teaching. Some of you have a greater grace in hospitality. And when people come into your house, it's like, I feel like I'm home. And then they come to someone else's house and they're like, what's going on? But you know what I mean? It's just like, because you spoiled them for the rest of us. Um, But there's different measures and we can grow in those measures, but this is our reality. If he says we have the gift, we can walk in extraordinary authority of that gift. For every believer, And it's not just the gifting. We have different spheres. We have different places we're called to. And so, if you're in the finance world, if you're in the business world, you're in the law world, you're in the uh, education, you're in the family world. Wherever you are, there's going to be grace for the world that you're in. There's going to be grace for the world that you're in. Practical example: I have people, you know, over. I've been married, uh, coming on nine years. And I've had people, and I've I've said this to people, and we have kids too. And they say two things: Oh, I'm not ready to be married. Oh, I'm not ready to have kids. And I get what they're saying. There's things that they want to do. But really, one of the things that I hear what they're saying is like, I don't feel ready. And one of the things that I like to tell people is the grace you need for marriage will be there waiting for you when you say I do. And the grace you need for kids will be there waiting for you when that kid comes out. You'll never feel fully ready. You'll never feel fully prepared. And if you're waiting to feel fully prepared to get into a relationship or to have children, then maybe you're trying to do it without grace. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so we're going to have a singles and getting married class after church. <laughs> First Corinthians 12. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. I'm running out of time, so I might just read from my notes just to help us get through it. When the apostolic is in its place, when the prophetic is in its place, and we are teaching and equipping the saints, then miracles break out. Healing breaks out. The poor and the widow And those who are in need are brought help. The administration of the kingdom expands and the church begins to grow because people are activated to pray, to walk in the spirit. This is important. This is important that we we ask and we step into the apostolic and we step into the prophetic and we step into the teaching because it's this natural flow that if we set the foundations in order, We can build, and we can build expeditiously. Historically, we know this to be true. When you see the outpourings of the Holy Spirit, when you see revivals, things like Toronto, things like the Fulton Street revival, things like Brownsville or or Azusa Street, they all came off of foundations being laid in prayer and the government of the church, of the apostolic and of the prophetic and of teaching biblical truth that measured against the original. They didn't just measure off of the culture they were in or the previous generation, which was dry and unchurched and had no charismata, no gifts. They went to the original. They laid foundations of truth in the face of opposition where the church was saying that is not biblical and they pressed passed it, and revival broke out. And then the thing that the church tried to do, which was build and preach and evangelize, which they couldn't do because they didn't have the foundational things, what they tried to do for years would happen suddenly. And apostolic people were revivalists. Luke 11, we see that, in the beginning Jesus was with them and he he was asked by them, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's when he says, What well, we just recorded for your kingdom come, your will be done. And he's saying, Whatever is in heaven, I want you guys to see it here on earth. He was teaching them a culture. He was teaching them a way. He was in in the fact giving them a job description. This is one of your assignments. Find out what is heaven. Find out who is the father. I'm modeling it to you. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And then go and do it. Don't just go and do it. Do greater. You will do greater. What is in heaven? No one's lost in heaven. So we focus on saving souls, on getting people born again, getting people baptized. There's maturity in heaven, so we disciple people to maturity in Christ-likeness here on the earth. So no one's demonized in heaven. No one's sick in heaven, so we have authority today over unclean spirits. We have authority today to cast out. We have authority today to heal every kind of sickness and disease. We heal the sick. We cast out demons. This is the job description of an apostolic people, of a revivalist. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. All right. I have like three more pages of notes. We're going to save it for next time. (laughs) So listen. I said in the beginning When the people of God access the apostolic anointing, the earth will witness a greater manifestation of Jesus' fullness and power. And I said in the beginning that it's important for us to lay foundational things. And this is one of the things. This is the foundation of his church. And when I say church, I, I mean people. I don't talk about building. You know, We got a foundation here, which they're still working on with water and leaks and different things. But... We, we got to establish a foundation. This looks like, yes, corporately as a church, but it also looks like you as an individual. You have to come into alignment with this as an individual, with the things that the Lord has laid out for us. We're going to keep talking next time about some more characteristics and then go into some assignments that he's called us to. But I want to pray for us today, if the worship team can come on up. We're not going to have a a ministry time in the altar in the the traditional sense where I don't necessarily feel like there's a prayer or an impartation of this because I cannot impart character to you. That's the point. That's why I'm I'm not trying to shut down the altar. But there's no imparting character. So no one can lay hands on you and give you purity and righteousness no one can lay hands on you and, and give you long suffering. No one can lay hands on you and give you faithfulness. We can ask the Lord to release grace. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask him to release grace. We're going to ask him to release revelation over us. That we would grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of God. I didn't get to it today, but one of the things that we see, a picture of an apostolic person is Solomon. And Solomon, when he asked the Lord for something, he, we all say he asked him for wisdom, but he didn't. He asked him for a hearing heart. And then the Lord gave him a hearing heart and wisdom. If the ears and the eyes of our heart can be opened up and we can walk in a hearing heart, he'll come with wisdom of what to do. And I want to ask specifically that the Lord would open up our ears and our eyes. Lord, what does it mean to be an apostolic people? What does it mean to be a prophetic people? What does it mean to walk in these things that you've called us to walk in and more than that or really on top of that Lord I need the character to sustain that type of anointing in my life I need the character to sustain that type of gifting in my life so that when they encounter me they they get you, they don't get me so that when I'm squeezed through trauma, you come out Lord so that X, Y, Z whatever, the winds come, my house is built on the rock so that when I go 10, 20, 30, 40 years you still find me here burning God this thing is that we're gonna end well it's the last one that I didn't hit but one of the characters of an apostolic people is we end well we end well we finish well we finish strong that we we don't we don't end up away from Him when we do the work with Him. Some of you guys need to have, hear that because there's like this fear. Well, what if I fall away like my friend f- fell away? There's this like accusational fear, like you're not really saved. You're not really secure. What I'm trying to do today is, is teach you, give you tools to lay foundations so your roots go deep so that when the wind comes, you don't easily fall over. Why don't you stand with me? Father, we thank you. We just want to take a moment. just want to make mention, I know this could be no one but it could be someone if you're here today and you you don't know Jesus or maybe you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior and you're here today and you would say, you know what rich like this thing you're talking about this family this love of the Lord I want to know that and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior you've never repented of your sins you've never turned from your ways and come to the knowledge of Christ I do want to invite you, you, in in just a minute or so, you can come meet. Maybe Colt or someone can, or, or Jamal, someone can come help us out and just be up here in the altar. You can come meet them up here. And I want to pray for each of us today. That the Lord would release grace, that he would open up your ears, that he would open up your eyes. Father we thank you right now. We thank you for what you're doing in this hour. We thank you that we are the ones filled with hope. We thank you that we are the ones filled with peace. We thank you that we are the righteous ones. We are the holy ones. We are the pure ones. We are the pure ones, God. We're the ones with clean hands and a pure heart because you've made us clean. But Lord, we are called by you We are sent by you. We are commissioned by you. We are ambassadors of Christ. Lord help us to understand what that means and what that looks like. That it won't just be this, this thing that we learn about or hear about. But Lord we would step into our identity as an apostolic people of ambassadors of Christ. Representatives of the kingdom of heaven and the King. That we would walk in extraordinary authority. That we would walk in the character of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would release grace. And Lord, release understanding, revelation. Lord, for those who maybe this is the first time hearing about this or exploring this topic, Lord, I just ask that you give them patience. That you'd give them perseverance, God. That you would, for all of us, Lord, just expand our capacity. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.